Well, before we dive into the new, I just want to take a minute or two just to look back and to say thanks to God and to say thanks to you for what a significant summer we've just had. Just listen to some of the things that just happened over the last couple months. Camp ECC for our kids took another big step forward, and the Camp ECC kickoff picnic was a blast. We offered a version of Alpha for our teens, along with special events like Moose and the Messy Games. We even had a special baptism service down at Turtle Lake, where six young people were baptized uh, on a beautiful August night. There were multiple game nights offered throughout the summer. Our men went back to the Boundary Waters, and patio nights returned for our women. Right here on Sunday mornings, we were exploring the book of Genesis for 11 weeks, and we greeted guests with a warm welcome and coffee and cookies and excellent engaging songs of worship, teaching from the Bible. We could apply to our lives each and every Sunday. We were back at the slice of Shoreview, and there was a great buzz around our booth. We sent a full delegation of delegates to the Northwest Conference annual meeting up in Grand Forks, and then to the Covenant meeting in Omaha, where the Covenant family of churches engaged in one of the most important discipleship conversations of our time. And because it was such an important conversation, we assigned homework to our elders, our pastors, our directors. We invited you to join us in some of that homework um, to prepare us for a series of church-wide discussions that we're going to have later on the topics of scripture and marriage and sexuality. We stepped up to an invitation to host the Global Leadership Summit and ended up hosting the largest satellite site here in Minnesota. Three of our pastors took a step closer to covenant ordination. We've been training volunteers. Our nominating committee started meeting. We've had two meetings. We've been prayerfully discussing candidates for key leadership positions. We sent two teams to Juarez this summer, two, and... uh, CC members were instrumental in creating a new nonprofit 501c3 that can serve the home in a number of ways, practical ways. We flew Nada and Battelle up from the children's home this summer to help them get better networked here in Minnesota. We connected them with contacts from the Global Leadership Summit, the Northwest Conference, and the Covenant Church in Mexico. We invited special guests to meet with our teaching team on the issues of immigration and refugees. We gathered a team that's heading to Portland in a couple weeks, some of you are in this room here today, to explore how do we better serve our city, especially when it comes to things like poverty, human trafficking. Behind the scenes, we've been creating new benevolence policies to connect those who contact us with, for things like food and shelter. We've been raising the bar when it comes to our safety policies for kids and for teens and vulnerable individuals. What a summer. That's not bad for a couple months, is it? Wow. So thank you, God, for your provision. And thanks to all of you who are engaged in these meaningful things. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. What a summer it's been. But now comes fall. Here we go. Now comes fall. And we want to help us all get off to a great start. A great start. When fall arrives in Minnesota, there is always more to do than can be done. Can I get an amen to that? Always more to do than can get done. Every moment is precious, and we know that our resources are limited, right? We often feel like we're spending way too much time and way too much money on things that are just chasing the wind. We often we invest all this time, we invest all this money, and it's precious, and sometimes it feels like we're just chasing after the wind. When it comes to time, there are so many fires to put out, there are so many balls to juggle, there are so many plates to keep spinning, that there's so much that gets left undone. The people who study these things Say it takes about five hours a day just to do the basic stuff of life. Five hours a day to get up, get ready, run errands, cook, eat, clean, taking care of our stuff. 
well, no wonder there's never enough time to get everything done at home. So what happens? Those of us who go to work, we have to sometimes bring our work from home to those little breaks in between work to get some of that stuff done, right? Or squeeze it in on our commute. Well, if you do work outside the home, the average executive gets 116 emails a day. <laughs> some of you are like, oh, that's low. Check my inbox, right? There's voicemails, there's meetings, there's conference calls, there's paperwork, there's reports, there's all of this stuff that takes about three hours before we get to the stuff on our job description, right? So what do we do? There's never enough time at work, so we bring the work home. You see a vicious cycle emerging here. If you're a student, you're like, yeah, that job thing that I know I should be doing, I'd like to be able to work more hours, but how do I do that? when homework keeps piling up and sports and activities require more of us than ever before and there's chores waiting for us at home. That's just the time part. What about money? Anyone feel like, oh, I've got more money than you know what to do with? I saw, I saw an, an article, and this was several years ago, an article that said the, the numbers for the bronze level American dream, if you want to have the bronze level American dream for, for a family of four, it's 130000 a year. 130000 a year to cover what a family of four, what they say needs on average, to have an average house payment, to pay for health insurance, to own one vehicle, to go on one vacation, and to save for college and retirement. And I'm looking at their numbers. I'm think, seeing all the things they left out, including a tithe. That wasn't in there. And if you go by the Bible's guidelines, you've got the tithe, and then you've got the offerings that go to the poor and the marginalized on top of that. So bump that number up to 145000 and I looked up last night, I said, what's the average, Googled, what's the average mean income for Minnesota? It's about half of that. So no wonder, no wonder we feel stretched. No wonder we feel like there's never enough. There's never enough time, there's never enough money. Feeling spread is normal. Feeling anxious and overwhelmed is normal. Losing sleep because of stress is normal. Feeling like you're falling further and further behind where you want to be is normal. So what we want to do in this series is say, can we get some wisdom that goes beyond conventional wisdom here? Can we go beyond normal? There's three books of the Bible that people often classify as wisdom literature. Job, Proverbs, and Ecclesiastes. What we're going to do for the, this week and for the next five weeks after that, we're going to go into the book of Ecclesiastes. So if you have your Bible, let's open up to the book of Ecclesiastes. Now, each one of these, I want to say each one of these books offers a unique perspective. We spent a lot of time in Proverbs at the beginning of this year, focusing on one topic from Proverbs. Um, each one of these brings a little different perspective on wisdom, and in doing so, paints a more complete picture of God's revealed word as a whole. Well, again, in this series, what we're going to do is we're going to look at the book of Ecclesiastes. Now, normally, when we teach, at least when I teach here, I teach out of the ESV translation. It tends to be a little more literal. I specifically am going to be going out of the NIV this morning, and you're going to see why in just, in just a minute, well, actually less than a minute, you'll see why I picked that one because of the way they translated. Here we go. Let's open up uh, to our Bibles. Uh, I want to let you know, too, if you don't have a Bible at home, we'd love for you to go home with one free today. Each and every week, we keep up a stack there in the back. Those are for you. Please take one as a, as a gift. So you can learn about great things like this. Here we go. Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 1. The words of the teacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Meaningless. Meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. What's meaningless? Everything. How's that for a nice hope-filled message for you today? 
Your life is stressful. Your life is hard. Don't worry. It's meaningless. It's absolutely meaningless. All right, we got a lot to unpack um, today, so let's get started. If you have your notes, I would encourage you to pull them out here and write this down. I, I, wait, did the Bible just take our fears to a whole new level? Is that what just happened here? In Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verses 1 through 2. You know, most of us, we operate with some level of a fear of missing out. It feels like there's more things that we want to do than we're able to do. And there are things that would bring us success as we see it, or more joy, or more peace. And so we want to work really hard at getting life right. We want to, we want to walk in wisdom. We want to invest our precious time and money wisely. We want to choose the right activities. We want to find the right schools. We want to find the right jobs. We want to find the right friends. We want to find the right neighborhoods. Did the Bible just say the pursuit of all of that is meaningless? Maybe if we read a little bit more, it's going to get cheerier. Let's, let's, let's take a look here. Let's go through verses 11. All right. Um, meaningless, meaningless. It says, teacher, everything's meaningless. Verse 3, what do people gain from all their label, labors at which they toil under the sun? Generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises, the sun sets, and hurries back where it rises. The wind blows for, to the south and turns to the north. Round and round it goes, ever returning on its course. This, all streams flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full. To the place where the streams come from, they all return again. All things are worrisome. More than one can say. The eye never has enough of seeing nor the ear of its hearing. What has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which one can say, look, here's something new. It's already here, already long ago. It was here before our time. No one remembers the former generations and even those yet to come will not be remembered by those that follow them. All right, now you feel a lot better, right? I mean, wow, wow. At face value, Ecclesiastes appears to be saying, hey, it's not as bad as you feared. It's worse. Right? Even if you get everything right, even if you maximize every moment, even if you maximize every dollar, it doesn't matter it seems to be saying time marches on the sun rises and sets generations come and go you will die and eventually everyone will forget about you that is if you're reading at face value that's what it says your tiny little life is meaningless so when we break the huddle let's all go out there and have a meaningless day so all right what do you say we break this down how's that sound starting with verse one let's go back to verse one if we could put that on the screen and i put a little of the hebrew transliteration in here the words of the teacher, which in Hebrew is Kohelet, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Our breakdown begins, breaking this verse down, begins by recognizing there's two voices in the book of Ecclesiastes. There's the author, and then there's this Kohelet. The author brings the introduction. They're opening this thing up in verse 1 right here. The author's saying, here's what you're about to hear. And then the author steps into the background for the rest of the book until the very end. And the author comes in with a few closing comments. The Hebrew word kohelet describes one who gathers people, somebody who addresses an assembly. When you translate kohelet into Greek and then into Latin and then into English, that's where you get the word Ecclesiastes. So if you ever wonder where the title came from, there you go. That's where the book Ecclesiastes gets its name. The most obvious candidate for this kohelet that we're about to hear from is Solomon, the son of King David. But there are some scholars who present different cases for different people. A good study Bible can give you the pros and cons of those different 
um, options. What I want to do right now, though, and I think what's most important right now, is to realize that what the author's doing here is they're presenting this Kohelet as an authoritative source. Whether it's Solomon or someone coming off of Solomon, this is an authoritative source. Listen to this person, the author is saying. A resource that will give you a great overview to the book of Ecclesiastes is a resource that we recommended almost every week when we did our Genesis series, and that's the BibleProject.com. I sent leaks and links in the last ECC mail. I'll send them again. There's two great videos, short videos on Ecclesiastes that are really, really well done. One of the videos that I'll link you to in the Bible Project says that if we were to personify, if we were to personify the book of Proverbs, you could personify Proverbs as this brilliant young teacher who, who can speak on just about every topic there is. She's an optimist because she is convinced that if you apply wisdom, you will build a better life. Then comes Ecclesiastes. And that same link says Ecclesiastes is more like a cynic. A cynic who says, don't be so naive. Because just like that video when I stepped up here, I love what Sam did with that video. There's, it feels like there's a glitch in the system. That what you expect should happen doesn't always happen. And there's a place to write this in your notes. The teacher in the book of Ecclesiastes, whose words we're going to be looking at here, deconstructs the illusion of control. Deconstructs it. You think you're in control. You think you can plan. You think by what you do, you can guarantee your future. Forget it. Forget it. There's a thread that runs through Ecclesiastes, and it can be seen from the first words out of the teacher's mouth to the very last words out of the teacher's mouth. Here, I put them both up on the screen for you here. Take a look at this. This is how the teacher's words start, and these are how the teacher's words end with meaningless, meaningless, utterly meaningless, or meaningless, meaningless, everything is meaningless. Now, it's important to do a, a quick word study on this word that's translated in the NIV as meaningless. I don't want to throw the NIV under the bus on this because I don't know what word you could really pick that captures the Hebrew. It was originally written in Hebrew, and the word that's used is really hard to find one word to describe it that translates well. If you were to, to, to see it with a... If we were to replace the, um, the, the English word meaningless with the, the Hebrew word, it would sound more like this. Hevel, hevel, everything is hevel. The, the word is hevel here. And that word appears a lot. It appears a lot. We'll show you just how much in just a second here. Is the teacher really saying everything is meaningless? Well, again, we don't have a good word that is a perfect match for hevel even though it's a word that's used a lot. But here's, I would say, would be better, if I can be so bold as to say this. Here's what I think would be a better translation. The word hevel means vapor, or it means smoke. That's a closer, a closer interpretation to the literal word. It means vapor or smoke. So the teacher is saying more literally, vapor, vapor. Everything is like vapor. That's powerful imagery. When you start to apply it to life, the teacher is saying life is like a vapor. Or life is like smoke. Life is constantly shaped and reshaped by countless factors. Life can be temporary and fleeting. It can be an enigma or a paradox. It may look solid just when you think you figured out and you try to grab hold of it. It slips through your fingers. The teacher isn't saying that life has no meaning. But what the teacher is saying is that life can be a lot like smoke. It can be confusing. It can be disorienting. One moment, you see beauty, you see goodness, you see justice, but tragedy can strike at any time and take it all away. Both Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, both of them, emphasize the importance of walking in wisdom. 
The wise are those who have a healthy fear of the Lord. When you hear that phrase, fear of the Lord in the Bible, what it's talking about is not always so much like a trembling in fear, but it's, it's a deep sense of awe. It's a deep sense of reverence. It's a deep sense of appreciation for who God is and, 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 and what he knows. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And generally speaking, if you make wise choices, generally speaking, better things happen than if you make foolish choices. In several spots throughout Ecclesiastes, the teacher underscores the value of wisdom. Here's an example. This is Ecclesiastes 9.17. The quiet words of the wise are more to be heeded than the shouts of a ruler of fools. So, does the teacher endorse walking in wisdom? Yes. And the teacher in Ecclesiastes adds this undeniable observation. This is from Ecclesiastes 9.11. The race is not always to the swift or the battle to the strong. Nor does food come to the wise or wealth to the brilliant or favor to the learned. But time and chance happen to them all. Time and chance happen to them all. Sometimes bad things happen to wise people. Sometimes good things happen to fools. Good people suffer. Wicked people appear to prosper. Walking in wisdom and chewing to do what's right, it comes with an asterisk comes with an asterisk. Usually it works. Not always. Here's an example of that from Ecclesiastes 9.12. Wisdom is better than strength, but... Here's the asterisk. The poor man's wisdom is despised, and his words are no longer heeded. Then he says, okay, wisdom is better than weapons of war. But one sinner can destroy much good. Wisdom preserves life in Ecclesiastes 7, 12, but wisdom fails to do so in Ecclesiastes 2, 16. So it's from that framework, the framework where there's nothing we can do to guarantee that life is going to work out as we hope. It's from the framework that time marches on with or without us and death will come for all of us. It's from that framework that the teacher deconstructs a life that is fixated on the pursuit of wealth, or the pursuit of pleasure, or the pursuit of social status, or the pursuit of great and lasting accomplishments. Because time and chance can happen to what? Who? Us all. Hevel, hevel, is repeated over and over again. Everything is hevel. Chasing after things that most people chase after, it is like chasing the wind. Which then begs this question, how do we live? How then do we live? How do we experience more than disappointment? How do we experience more than cynicism? As time continues to take us closer and closer to our inevitable death. Well, woven through very honest observations about life are reminders to live life with watchful eyes and listening ears and open hands. Because one of the very few things that we can control is what's our attitude towards these things that happen to us. So the teacher does things like this, woven in through all of the hevel hevel. Does things like this. Says, don't sweat the small stuff. Woven in. If you look carefully, it's there. Here's an example of it. Don't sweat the small stuff. For, for example, let me set this up a little bit. Proverbs. Proverbs teaches the wise how to build your reputation. Proverbs teaches us how to avoid foolish arguments. Proverbs teaches us how to diffuse escalating situations. If you want to get some great wisdom about how you get a good reputation, how you avoid conflict, all that kind of stuff, go to Proverbs. And Ecclesiastes reminds us of of this. This is from 
Ecclesiastes 7, 21 through 22. You can do everything right, but this can happen. Do not pay attention to every word people say, or you may hear your servant cursing you. For you know in your heart, and many times you yourself have cursed others. Right? No matter how much you try to control what other people think of you and what other people say, can you do it? No. We saw last week when we looked at Moses. This is Moses. He led people out of slavery. And what did they want to do to him last week? They wanted to stone him. You're welcome. Right? Embedded within all the hevel. Embedded within all the hevel. There's not only these reminders to let go of all these negative things, but also to enjoy the simple pleasures. You see that too. That's woven throughout this book. These gifts of grace that God sends our way. Friendship, family, a good meal, sunny day. Here's an example of that. This is Ecclesiastes 9, 7 through 9. Go and eat your food with what? Gladness. You know, that one actually is hitting me right this moment. When was the last time I enjoyed my food? It's usually something I'm just like, I got to get through food so I can move on, right? Huh. Go eat your food with gladness. You want to apply today's teaching? Really taste your food today. Taste your food today. Elsa says, anoint your head with oil or dry shampoo, right? Uh, Enjoy life. Enjoy life with your wife, whom you love all the days of your meaningless life that God has given you under the sun, all your meaningless days. In the weeks ahead, one of the things we're going to drill down to is how even pain is something that we can benefit from. And pain can teach us. Pain can refine us. Pain wakes us up to the reality that life is short. And our mortal lives themselves are heavy. There's a place to write this in your notes. One of the things that God does is he invites us, in Ecclesiastes, he invites us to embrace each moment and then to trust him with the future. To embrace the moment. Do what's right. Do what's wise. Enjoy what you can. And ultimately trust him with the future. As the book of Ecclesiastes comes to a close, now the author steps back in. At the end, the author steps back in. He returns to give the final word. And here's what the author leaves us with. This we're going to spend almost all the time in the final week of the series. Almost all the time drilling in. I just want to let you know that he's, there's hope coming. Ecclesiastes 12, 13 through 14, the last words of the book, author comes back, says, now all's been heard. Here's the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the duty of all humankind. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it's good or evil. You know, ultimately we're left with this hope that whatever comes our way, good or evil, God is ultimately in control. And so as a reader, we put our trust in this source to be able to say, we're going to trust you, author, that what you say is true. We've got more than those readers had. That's what they had. They had, they had to trust what the author said is true. Thousands of years have passed between those words were written and today. And we have the benefit of anchoring to something so much more. Something that happened in history. Something that divided history in two. And that was the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We can anchor to something that happened in history. If there was ever a case, if there was ever a case to be made that everything is hevel, it was the first 27 chapters of the book of Matthew. 
or the first 15 chapters of Mark, or the first 23 chapters of Luke, or the first 19 chapters of John. If you end those Gospels, if you end those Gospels with the number I just gave you, if you end one or more chapters before it's done, where's Jesus at that point? He's in a tomb. And if that's where those Gospels ended, then life is hevel, completely. You could say it's meaningless. Because here you had the most significant life in the history of lives. And where did he end up? He ended up dead. He ended up executed by the people he came to save. If the Bible ended there in each of those accounts, then everything is utterly meaningless. It absolutely is. Then there was no meaning behind all of this. Why even try? But what happened on the third day? He rose. And here's the thing. He rose just as he said he would. He rose just as the scriptures said he would. Think how significant that is. Because we're, we've just you know, been reading all this. It's meaningless, meaningless. Days. You can't control anything. Here is someone who called it out and said, third day, I'm coming back. Here's the scriptures that testify. Someday Messiah is going to come. He'll be the suffering servant, but he's going to defeat death. That is big to me. That, that's big to someone who was a former skeptic. Against all we know as possible, there is an empty grave about 6,000 miles from here. You can go to it that testifies to the one who can guarantee the impossible. Can I get an amen to that? He can guarantee the impossible including his prophecy that the very gates of hell wouldn't be able to prevail against this movement that he founded, a movement that prevailed against all odds. We're talking about his bride here, the church. The teacher in Ecclesiastes, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, deconstructed the notion that you or I can expect that life will adjust to our plans and expectations. Take today, for instance. You know I was watching the weather. Right? I'm looking a week out. Okay, okay, okay. 40% chance of rain on Sunday. Getting closer. Okay, okay, okay. 40% chance of rain on Sunday. Last night before I go to bed, 50% chance of rain on Sunday. And when? Right from 11 to noon. You know, you can't control that. And ultimately, I was able to have peace to say, God, we can't control that. And yeah, I'm going to pray for good weather. But isn't it more important to pray for God's presence when the rains come? Right? Jesus said this, as recorded by an eyewitness in John 16, In this world you will have trouble. But take heart. Why? Why can we take heart? He's overcome the world. He's overcome the world. So something as trivial as rain... Something as significant as persecution? Take heart. He's overcome. He's overcome the world. As I was praying this morning, I think I heard these words. Not in an audible voice, but deep within my spirit. Fruit needs both sun and rain. Can I get an amen? You want to have fruit in your life? You need both sun and you need rain. Seize each moment for what it brings us. We can do that with the faith 
We can do that with the faith that God can work what for good? All things. All things. Even death on a cross. Jesus invites us to grab hold of something strong. Not vapor. He invites us to grab hold of something strong. And he uses imagery that radically reconstructs faith. Here's an example that we often circle back to as a church here. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me, and I in you, you will, you will bear what? Much fruit. Apart from me, what can you do? I chose you. I appointed you so that you may go and bear fruit. We don't need to go through life crossing our fingers. Isn't that great? We don't need to go through life. I hope this works. Because God can work all things for good, even our mistakes, even things that don't go as we planned. The one who predicted his own resurrection invites us to walk with him on sunny days and to seek him in the rain. There's one last set of blanks in your note sheet this morning, and here's what we invite you to to write as, as we go forth here today, as we launch this new series, imagine how your life could be different if we stopped chasing vapors and grabbed hold of the vine. So what we're going to do from here on out with this series is we're going to drill down into some of the things that Ecclesiastes drills down into. Over the next five weeks, we're going to ask some important questions about what are we chasing after? And is that what we really want? Let's explore what Jesus taught us And what the teacher in Ecclesiastes taught us about a way that leads to abundant and eternal life. Let's talk about the difference between entertainment and true recreation to recreation. Entertainment's become a god, hasn't it? Let's just call it what it is and let's press into that. Let's talk about what a healthy and God-honoring approach to work looks like. Did work come before or after the fall? Before. What does God-honoring work look like? Let's talk about how do we seize the seasons that we find ourselves in. Let's have candid conversations about what is the purpose of wealth and possessions. And then let's put it all together into steps that we can take to build our lives on something solid. So we invite you to join us on Sundays, and we invite you to join us for more. You know, when you came in, there was this um, brochure that you should have on your seats with all kinds of ways to connect. We'd invite you to do so. We invite you to do so as we get started. Well, there are so many opportunities for us to grab hold of that vine together. And I want to invite the worship band to come forward and, and seal this time with this song. And as they do, let's dedicate this year to God. Let's do that. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. Thank you for telling it like it is. Thank you for loving us enough to do that to not just coddle us and assure us that everything's going to be okay when it's not. To allow us to walk down a path that leads to destruction and pain and regret and not say anything about it. Thank you for loving us. And thank you, Lord, for giving us the ultimate example for everything. The more we look at the cross, the more we see that it speaks to everything. There's no greater act than the act of laying down your own life or the life of your child. And you did both. You did both on the cross. Lord, there's, there's no greater act that could, could prove that life is not meaningless than for you to call out your own resurrection. 
and rise before reliable witnesses. Lord, help us to embrace these realities and rebuild our life around them. Lord, we pray that this series would not be one that just heaps on more guilt. Oh, don't watch so much TV or, or whatever. Help this to be a series where we really just stop chasing stuff that is vapor. And help us grab onto and rebuild lives on a solid foundation. Bless these weeks ahead. Take us deeper. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.